This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and I'll tell you why we're going there. When I was a boy, I was a teenager, my dad said to me one day, Rich, if you're going to understand life, you really need to get a hold of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I never forgot that. A couple weeks ago, I was, well, maybe a month and a half ago now, I was in uh, central Florida, headed back to the panhandle of Florida, and uh, normally when we're pulling our truck and trailer, I'm driving the truck and the trailer, my wife follows behind in a van because when my girls got old enough to drive, they couldn't drive church vans, they wouldn't be on the, the, uh, you know, the insurance, so we took a van with us, found out it was actually cheaper to have a second vehicle, my truck gets six miles a gallon, so, uh, so they often will follow me in a van, so they're, they're following, so I'm listening to podcasts and such when I'm traveling, and I was listening to a um, Charlie Kirk podcast, and Charlie Kirk was saying, as I'm driving, listen, if you don't understand the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you won't understand life, I thought, well, I remember my dad telling me that. And boy, is that the truth. So I want to read to you a little bit out of Genesis, and then I want to read a little summary I wrote about those early chapters of Genesis. Let's just look at the first five verses of chapter 1, Genesis 1. Ought to be easy, first of the Bible, beside your introduction and such. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1. why don't you follow along there? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Drop down to verse 26, if you will. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth. Let's go to verse 31, one more place here. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So I wrote this down uh, last year. I was thinking, okay, how would I summarize the opening chapters of the book of Genesis? This is what I wrote in my journal last year. God made the universe. God created life. God made humans. God created two sexes, male and female. He made marriage to be a union of an individual man to an individual woman. One man married to one woman for a lifetime. God gave them the capacity to produce offspring. When they mate, they sometimes conceive. When they do conceive, the children born to them are their charge. It's their job, not the governments, not the schools, not societies to provide for, train, and love their kids. Society is established on the building block of the family unit. When families fail, society is harmed. When marriages dissolve, children are hurt. It behooves the Christian to recognize the rightful place of God, to submit to his sacred word, to embrace the unique role of the sexes, to honor the sanctity of sex and marriage, and to fully own the obligation to love and train, provide for his own children. Dads. The job starts with you. Own the task, love your wife, train your children. 
So I ended up entitling this message, Do Your Job. Do Your Job. I'm going to tell you, as I launch out into this tonight, um, if I were to put a lot of this on social media, which I haven't, but if I were, it would probably be banned in a lot of places. Probably be canceled. But I want you to know that God has been around from the beginning and beyond. And long after social media has become a thing in the dustbins of history, God will remain true. And folks, I want to tell you, those who come out on the wrong side of truth come out on the wrong side of history. And we're seeing a lot of people come out on the wrong side of truth right now. And I don't want to be on the wrong side of truth. I hope you don't. Because let me tell you, coming out on the wrong side of truth is going to affect your family. It's going to affect your country. It's going to affect your churches. So I want to break it down into two areas tonight. The heavenly view of human beings will be number one. The heavenly view of human beings. And let's go back to what we read. You know, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning. What was there when there was nothing? There was God. And God created everything. How did he do it? He spoke it into existence. Interestingly enough, he says he did it in six days. You know, those are six literal days. Like sun up, sun down kind of days. 24-hour days. Somebody said, well, do you really believe in a six-day creation? Yeah, I once read a book. It was fascinating. Um, it was called In Six Days. It was written by a man named John Ashton. Well, he was the editor, actually. Ashton had been in the conference on origins. It was a secular conference on the topic of the origins of the universe. And he heard a man get up and say, I don't think there's a PhD in America who believes in a literal six-day creation. Ashton thought, hmm, I know I do. And he looked around the conference room. He said, I know that guy does, and I know that guy does. And so he said he sent out a uh, one-question email to colleagues all over the Western world. United States, United Kingdom, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. He said, why do you believe in a literal six-day creation? That was it, one question. And he said he got essays back from colleagues. And he said these were people with earned PhDs from, interestingly, secular institutions. And they were people like um, nuclear scientists and biologists and nuclear physicists and statisticians and medical doctors, etc. And they wrote anywhere from 5 to 15 pages on why they believed in a literal six-day creation. And I can tell you why I believe in a six-day creation. God said it. And that settles it. I, when I was a kid, I used to have this quote. It said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then I said, well, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. So I crossed out, I believe it. It said, God said it, that settles. And then I thought, well, that doesn't look right because it looks like I don't believe it. So I changed it. It said, God said it, that settles it, and I believe it. You'd be wise to believe God. And I'll tell you what's going on in society today is a fundamental attack on the authority of God. And we are living in a culture where we are being told that political correctness is the right way to think. And God says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. And God is the arbiter of what's right or what's wrong, not you or me. And if we do not know God, we do not know truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he says he made everything in six days. By the way, he could have done it in six nanoseconds if he wanted, but he did it in six days. And then you get the argument, well, how, how could you believe in the universe where light is millions of light years away but God allegedly did it in six days. Well, he didn't allegedly do it. He did it. He said so. 
And by the way, the light showing up from millions of light years away, it's, oh, there's, we could go into great scientific explanation. He spreadeth out the heavens, etc. But one of the simple factors I thought about when I was a kid, when God spoke everything to existence, it was all created with maturity, with age, if you will. Adam and Eve were not toddlers or infants. They were, they were adults capable of bearing children. And trees were already producing fruit. And animals were already capable of reproduction. And... There was light on day one, even though he didn't, bear the light, he didn't create the light-bearing entities until day four. But as soon as he said, let there be light, there was light. And when he created the stars and the planets, etc., light was already showing up on earth. God's amazing in his control and in his power. But that's really where we are today. It is an idea of we are going to cancel God. Cancel culture is all about canceling God. Maybe you've noticed the only... Uh, Open season on religion today is on traditional Christian religion. Why is that? Well, because it's rooted in the authority of God's word. Let me give you this, the heavenly view of human beings. First of all, in verses 26 and 27, God made them. God made them. Go back to 26. God said, let us make man in our image. Interesting, who's our? Yeah, if you don't understand the triune God, that wouldn't make much sense to you. Who is God? He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our image. I remember talking to a Jehovah's Witness one time. Her brother was in the hospital, and I, I was there visiting with the pastor. Her brother was a born-again Christian, but she was there out of concern. So only one person at a time could go in. The pastor was visiting, so the sister came out. I was in the waiting room with her, and uh, I said, hey, I want you to know we're praying for your brother. And she said, well, thank you. She said, we'll take prayer from anybody we can get at this point. I thought, well, that was a nice way to say thanks for praying. <laughs> I found out later, well, she was kind of put off with me because I was a Baptist. And so um, I said, so what, what's your view of God? She said, well, I'm a, I'm a seventh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, oh. She said, well, we wouldn't have the same theology, which I knew that. And I said, uh, such as? She said, well, you, for instance, you believe in the Trinity. How can you believe that God is triune? I said, because he says so. Oh, I don't believe that. And I said, uh, she said, it just doesn't make sense. I said, well, let me ask you this. How, how do you think the world got here? She said, well, God made it. I said, yeah, I agree. How did he make it? She said, well, he spoke it into existence. I said, yeah, he did. I said, how long did it take him? She said, six days. I said, I agree with you. But I'm sure if we were talking to some secular um, scientist or secular college professor, they would probably discount that. She said, well, it doesn't matter if they discount it or not. God said it. I said, well, that's my answer to you about the Trinity. Uh, <laughs> And frankly, it doesn't surprise me if you say, well, it doesn't make sense. I, I, look, folks, I truly believe the Trinity is one of the self-evident proofs of the existence of God. Who in his right mind, if man came up with the concept of God, who would say, we believe in one God? Now, he exists in three persons. He's Father and Son and Holy Ghost. What human would come up with that? But you see, God reveals himself to us, and he says this, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It makes sense when you understand uh, the Jewish confession of faith, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And the Lord, that's the tetragrammaton, that was the, um, those were the consonants they didn't have the, the vowels to, they would never say it, they replaced it with the word Adonai, which means Lord, that's why it's translated Lord in our English Bible. But uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, however it was said, means the I am that I am. Interesting, the Lord, Jehovah, that's singular, our God, that's, Elohim, anything ending I am in Hebrew was plural, like Elohim, Cherubim, Seraphim, Baalim, okay, I am endings, that's plural. So the Lord, singular, our God, plural, is 
Lord. What does that mean? The same as Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And by the way, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm quoting from John 1, and who was that? Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1.16 says, for by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. So we go back to the beginning here, and he says, God created man in his own image. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. So under God made them, I jotted down in his own image. Now what does that mean? Do you and I look like God? Well, that would be very disappointing if I were to tell you that I look like God. Uh, No, I don't. We all look different. God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's interesting, I jotted this down from the... um, the notes of the New Pilgrim Study Bible. And the, the note on uh, Genesis 1.26 says, Of all creation, only man is created like God, a trinity. Plants have a body. Animals have a body and soul. Man is a trinity who has a body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Someone has likened the body to sense consciousness, the soul to self-consciousness, and the spirit to God-consciousness. Okay, interesting. So a plant has a body. Of, you see, uh, like a morning glory. So morning glories come out in the morning and, you know, the flower's out. But then as soon as it gets warm, they close up. Well, they're, they're sense consciousness. They're conscious of heat, right? But plants only have a body. Animals do have a soul. However, years ago there was a movie that came out, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's a cute title, but it's not true. When your dog dies, it's all over. It's not suffering anymore, you know. Ecclesiastes talks about the animal's soul goes back to the dirt. But not true with man. See, man has an eternal soul. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. It's funny, you may not have grown up knowing the Bible, but you intuitively know, I don't think it's just all over when it's over. God put that in you. The strongest instinct in humanity is the instinct to survive. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So when you say, well, won't there be animals in the new heaven and new earth? Oh, yeah. In fact, you'll be able to uh, sit down with lions and tigers, not the ones that you saw in the zoo. They'll be gone by that point, but other ones. Yeah. But man has a spirit. And the problem is, see, the reason we need to be saved is you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's not that bad people need to be better in order to be saved. It's dead people need to be made alive. That's what happens when a person gets saved. We're dead in our spirit until we're made alive by the Spirit of God. So God made us in his own image. And then, not only in his own image, but in two distinct sexes. Notice verse 27. Now, you know, if I preached this 10 years ago, this would be like, yeah, everybody knows that. Can you believe what's going on in our world today? on the battle of so-called gender. By the way, the Bible term is sex, okay? God made two sexes, and gender is tied into your sex. And and people say, well, we need to follow the science. Not the political science. Let me tell you what the science says. There are XX chromosomes, and there are XY chromosomes. 
I remember when my dad took us kids to the kitty city when we were little, little guys and girls, and my two sisters are reaching for the Barbie dolls and the other dolls, and I'm reaching toward the G.I. Joes and the ball gloves. And my dad said, who taught these kids that? You know, it was inherent. By the way, you know who's teaching them to think otherwise? It's not God. He made the male and female. The science is in favor of what God says. In fact, God warns about science falsely so-called. You, you see, the problem with science, science is based on observable, reproducible fact, and, and we're limited in our observations. So we can only reason so far, but there are going to be some things like, how, how do you know there's an eternal soul? Science can't tell you that. How do you know there's a heaven and hell? Science can't tell you that. There are matters that have to be revealed by God. By the way, he writes uh, his law on the conscience of our hearts. That's why we know right and wrong. And he also put eternity in our hearts. We know there's got to be something beyond the grave. So God made us eternal souls, and he made us in two distinct sexes. Well, not only God made them, but then I want you to see God blessed them. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish and over the fowl, over every creeping thing. So, God made man the apex of his creation. It's very interesting. Of all that God made, only when he came to man did he form man out of the dust of the ground. It's like he handcrafted his special creation. And where did man's wife come? She was taken out of Adam's rib, is the scripture. So there was a special handcrafting that went on with the man and the woman. Very interesting how God personally did that. And he made them, and he blessed them. And it's interesting, he said, you have dominion over the earth. Look, climate change activists they're acting like men are intruders in this planet like what we need to do is we need to limit humanity in fact if you pay any attention at all okay i'm bringing culture in and i'm bringing politics in because as i said on sunday politics flows downstream from culture culture is affected by worldview and worldview is being affected not largely by the bible today but by secular humanism and here's what we're being told well, you know, in uh, 12 years, we're not going to exist anymore. You know, Al Gore was saying that a long time ago. Interestingly enough, we're still here. And you remember, oh, man, it was, oh, we're, we're all going to freeze. And now, well, we're all, everything's going to melt. And now, oh, you know, we got to get rid of carbon because we're going to just, our planet's unsustainable. Interesting, these electric vehicles, where, where are we getting the batteries for these things? China. And uh, very interesting, um, how many of these electric vehicles can we sustain right now? You know, there'd be something to a, a reasonable transition to different types of fuel. I, I, you know, we could do probably more in this area. But the idea that by, uh, what's Gavin Newsom, 2035, we're just going to have no more cars in California? Are you, are you kidding? Seriously. God told man to have dominion of the earth, to subdue it. There is a place for conservation, etc., but man is not an intruder on this planet. Man was made to be the caretaker of the planet. I mentioned yesterday when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the lilies of the field, the sparrows, and he said this, are you not of much more value than they? That's not man's opinion. That's what God said. Man's more valuable than the animals. That doesn't mean that animals aren't valuable. I mean, some people love their dog more than they love children. I, I know that, okay? God says, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. But it's pretty sick when in society we will, we will quickly vilify a guy like Michael Vick for 
fighting dogs, which I, I understand. But then, boy, we will, we will eulogize people that stand up for a woman to terminate her own child. What are we thinking? So God created man, and he created man to have dominion over the planet. Well, I want you to see this then. Not only he blessed them, but let us see, he charged them. He gave them an admonition. And what was the admonition? Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. It's interesting, God never warned against overpopulation. This is one of the areas of thinking that you've got to go back and think, okay, my view of family, was it shaped by society or by God? And today, many of us are saying, oh, okay, I'll tell you what, there's a real danger of what's going on in society out there. Let me, let me just tell you something. Uh, transgenderism is not of God, okay? The whole idea, well, you can be whatever sex you want to be. What's called gender-affirming care today is code for we're going to cut off the breasts of young girls and we're going to do genital mutilation. You tell me that's of God? No. Folks, please understand, God loves all people. All people are important. We need to love people no matter what their frame of mind, no matter what their background, no matter what their economic stance, no matter what their race. We need to love people. But that does not mean we affirm absurdity. And today it's not about, well, being tolerant of people. You know what the the left agenda is today? You need to affirm me in my beliefs. No, wrong. If your beliefs go up against God, sorry, I'm not affirming that. So here we have God made two sexes, and he's telling us, look, I I want you to understand, I made you uniquely male or uniquely female. You need to embrace what God made you to be. And what does he say? You should know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So God made made them two distinct sexes. He charged them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. By the way, you hear the term birthing parents. Look, as a dad of all daughters, I want to tell you something. I'm offended for my girls what's going on in society concerning women today. It's, it's demeaning to women. This idea that, um, and, I, and I'm completely against alcohol. I've never drunk alcohol in my life. But this whole idea that Bud Light would make its uh, poster child a transgender man who now identifies as a woman, no wonder they're getting the backlash they're getting. Let me tell you something. It's when a swimmer can go up against Riley Gaines, and this swimmer is... A foot plus taller than her and skeletal structure of a man and he, he couldn't win in the, uh, the Penn, Penn swim team so he identifies as a woman well if they're going to let you get away with it who wouldn't? I mentioned Sunday if I, you know, if I couldn't win in the Olympics but I decide hey maybe I could medal in the Special Olympics does that make it justifiable for me to go to the Special Olympics? Isn't it odd to you that I can't rent a car if I'm not more than 25 years old but your kids might be in public school and be able to have transgender surgery and you wouldn't even be able to know it. Something's wrong with that. You know it intuitively. It is an attack on the authority of God and his word. And I want to tell you something. God's not daunted by the attacks. But you and I are going to be affected by it if we don't side with God. So we go on. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, this is an area where I believe secular humanism really affected our society even in Christian circles, we, we often see people have the idea, well, you know, you got more than two or three kids, you're kind of being irresponsible. Says who? You didn't get that from God. God never said it's reckless to have a big family. Amen. He sa- yeah. <laughs> Says the man with 11 children. Amen. 
but I'm a man with only three children who's saying the man with 11 children is right. I, I don't only have three because that's all. I said, well, we're not having more than three. Now, I always thought we'd have at least five. To me, that would be big because we live in a trailer, right? <laughs> we lost the third one, and we only, we only have three. But I'll tell you what, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are on the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Look at Psalm 127 sometime. God says he blesses the family. Sometimes you'll see a missionary family come to church and they'll have a whole bunch of kids. You know, like my brother-in-law, he's got eight. And they'll look at him like, ooh, don't they know? <laughs> yeah, they know. <laughs> they know that God says children are a heritage of the Lord. See, you and I just so easily get influenced by society. It's by default. And I want to remind you, wisdom is the principal thing. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. That's Proverbs 4, 7. You've got to actively study to have your mind transformed, to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're, you're not going to find all the right ways in society by just going along with the flow. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Not only that, he not only charged them, but he provided for them. Look at verses 29 and 30. God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat every beast of the earth, every fowl of the air, everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there's life. I've given green herb for meat, and it was so. So he provided for him. In fact, he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll never lack for anything, he promises. Matthew 20, uh, 6, 20 4 to 34, I looked at that with you in detail last night in the message on praying for provision. And you know, the lilies of the field, they don't have to spin anything and they're beautifully adorned. And the fowls of the air, they don't gather their food in the barns. Every day they go out and God gives them food. And how much more will he care for you? He promises. He's going to provide for you. Well, you know, I think it's reckless in our society to have a big family. You can say that, but God didn't say that. He said, I'll meet all your need. And if he tells you, have a family, then he can certainly take care of it. It is sad that in our society, people are being penalized for having a traditional family. But I will tell you, that's deliberate. It's a deliberate attack on the family. I mentioned Sunday, and it is worth reading. Um, the, the, uh, the book written by uh, Erwin Lutzer, sorry. We will not be silenced. Be worth reading. In fact, uh, Vody Bachman wrote a similar book on the cancel culture and wokeism. Somebody asked me, this is a fair question. Somebody asked me the other day, what is wokeism? What does it mean to be woke? That's a good question. That term really didn't enter our vocabulary until about 2014, the Ferguson riots. You remember, hands up, don't shoot? Turned out that whole, the whole allegations with Michael Brown, though, were not exactly as we were told initially. And so wokeism became the idea of um, social activism, social awareness, which sounds good, right? The problem is um, the whole Black Lives Movement and I say Black Lives Inc., okay? The sad thing is this, this was all made racial. It shouldn't be. We're going to talk about race in a minute, okay? This is a well-integrated church. I'm glad every church ought to be well-integrated. Now, it's kind of hard to be well-integrated if you live in a place where the whole population is not integrated. I understand that. But churches should be well-integrated. It's very interesting in the book of uh, Acts when Peter first preaches and the church goes from the initial group of disciples to reaching out. There is in Jerusalem at that time people from every different nationality, and that's how the first church gets started. So Black Lives Matter, Inc., and then Antifa began this whole idea, well, you know, we need social equity. 
we were promoting equality before. What's equity? Well, you would think equity would mean all things equal, but what, what happened is now we started to have reverse racism. Look, there shouldn't be the thinking that whites are superior, and there shouldn't be the thinking that the black or the brown is superior. God made all men. We've got to deal with this. Let's go to uh, the book of Galatians for just a minute. I had this for later on, but go to Galatians chapter 3 with me. Galatians chapter 3. You know, someone had asked me, do you think, you know, do, do we despise the transgender person? No, look, God loves the homosexual. God loves the transgender. That doesn't mean he affirms it. Let me explain something to you. Does God love me? God so loved the world. However, let me ask you this. Does God loving me mean, well, he's going to take me however I am. If I, if I were committing adultery against my wife, would that, would that be acceptable? No, the Bible's really clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? If I were um, abusing my children, if I were a child abuser, would that be acceptable? No. Someday I'm, I'm going to talk to a transgender person and they're going to say to me, well, I go to a church where I'm affirmed. What do you have to say about that? And I will say to them, how did Jesus Christ plan to take care of the breach between man and God? What did he do? Well, he died on the cross. Why? For our sins. For our what? Our sins. He didn't come to affirm us in our rebellion against God. He came to redeem us from our rebellion against God. He did not come down to say, well, Rich, it's okay if you're cheating on your wife or looking at pornography or what. No, no, no. He came to save me from my sins. He did not come down to affirm you in your sodomy or your homosexuality or your transgender thinking. He came to redeem you. He loves you, but he's not here to redeem you to continue in sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's in Romans 6, 1 and 2. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's in Romans 6, 12 to 14. Now, let me just say this to you. God came down to redeem the sinner. Now look at Galatians 3, go down to verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We're not all the children of God. When you, well, is God exclusive? Only on one count. Where do you stand with his son? Doesn't have to do with the religion you grew up in. Doesn't have to do with your race. Doesn't have to do with your economic status. It's all, where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Brian said in his prayer tonight, the Lord declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Some people say, well, I don't like that. That's too narrow. Too narrow? How about it's so simple? God made one simple way. You want to go to heaven? Here it is. He paid it all that you might be redeemed through him. We don't get to dictate to God how we get to heaven. And by the way, we don't get to dictate to God what is moral and what is right. So he says, look, you're all one family, all the children of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you have been baptized into, Jesus, into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or f nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, Jew nor Greek, that has to do with racial distinction. Bond nor free, that has to do with economic status and freedom. 
um, he mentions male nor female, that has to do with sex, and he says, in Christ, we have absolute equal standing, don't we? That's how we're to look at things. Just because I got saved out of a religious background doesn't mean I'm any better than the person who got saved out of homosexuality or producing porn films or whatever. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're saved by grace through faith. You're all equally forgiven by God. What a blessing. But we've got a society that instead of wanting to view Jesus as the one to save the sinner, they want to view Jesus as the one to affirm the sinner. He did not come to affirm you in your sin. He came to save you from your sin. So God approved them. Verse 31, if we go back to Genesis 1:31, he says this, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Okay, was there anything bad in society? No, it's all good. God, God made man at the head of all the animals he'd made and all of creation. He put it all under man's charge. You know, we, we've got this group today, men like George Soros, Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, these fellows who are all aligned in what's known as the World Economic Forum, you know what they want to do? They want to take our population back to what it was hundreds of years ago because they say the world's overpopulated. That's what they say. God did not say that. Let me, let me just tell you something. Those who say the world's overpopulated do not travel by road. They travel by air. They go to D.C. and they fly to Boston. They fly from Boston out to Chicago. They go from Chicago to Dallas and end up in L.A. And they say, man, the world's overpopulated. Take it from a guy who's been on almost every single mile of the U.S. interstate system. There is so much open land out there, even in this country, of 334 million people. The problem with the world is not overpopulation. The problem is population distribution. We, we got to spread people out. You say, well, there are places in this world that are uninhabitable. You, you couldn't, people couldn't survive. Oh, yeah, you mean like Las Vegas, for instance. <laughs> Interesting, where there's a will, there's a way, isn't there? Somebody said, I, I remember this back when I was in college, if you took the entire world's population and made everybody stand shoulder to shoulder, you could fit the whole world in the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. Now, obviously, we couldn't live shoulder to shoulder. We've got to have land. But if you could fit everybody in one city, yeah, we could probably distribute them around the world and be okay, couldn't we? So we've got either man's thinking or God's thinking we're going to go with. Well, there, are, there is this group now, and they, they deny it. Oh, no, we're not out to set up a world order. Should it surprise you, did not Lord, the Lord tell us that in the last days there would come a one-world ruler and he's going to have dominion over all the countries of the earth. That isn't going to happen with a flip of a switch. Some things are going to have to be in place to move us in that direction. Oh, it's interesting. He's going to have a, a worldwide currency. And you can't buy or sell without his approved currency. I wonder how they do that. Maybe the government would force us to all go cryptocurrency, controlled by them. And, and maybe you'll actually get a, like a social equity score. Sounds familiar. You know, if you come out on the wrong side, whether it's transgenderism or government policies, well, we'll just shut down your bank account. Haven't heard of that happening, have you? Everything is falling into place. God warned about it. God blessed man, he approved them. But then I want you to see this. That's all under the heavenly view of human beings. But number two, the give and take of God and man. Go to chapter two. Give and take of God and man. 
I'll pick up in verse 7. Now, chapter 2 kind of elaborates on some of the details of creation. It's, it's not like there's a second act of creation. He's just pulling back the curtain and giving us some more, uh, some more details. So let's start with this. The give and take of God and men. A, man was formed by God. Look at verse 7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. I mentioned earlier that man is a spirit and he has an eternal soul. Uh, hold your place here. Let's go over to the book of John for a minute. John chapter 5. So how do we know man has a soul? Yeah, this is one of the reasons. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So he's talking about general revelation. All you got to do is go out on a starlit night and look out there and think, how did it get there? And if you think at all, you realize it didn't just happen. Somebody made it. But you get to the second part of Psalm 19, and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And all of a sudden, he moves from general revelation to God's revelation, from scientific revelation to special revelation. You see, we can know the general fact that God exists, but we can't know him intimately without his word. That's why we go back to the authority of God's word. So what does he tell us here? We're in John chapter 5. Let me pick up in verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, what? Everlasting life. Everlasting. Sounds to me that, like that means lasting how long? Forever. You believe on me, you have everlasting life. Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Huh. By the way, that's one of the reasons I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I grew up in a church that didn't even preach salvation, okay? But the United Methodist Church I grew up in, historically Methodists had preached the gospel. However, they were Armenian in their theology. They, they believe, like many, that you could lose your salvation. Well, I believe in the eternal security of the believer. It's not because I'm a Baptist. I didn't grow up Baptist. I became one through study and thought, yeah. By the way, being Baptist is not what gets me to heaven. Being born again is all that can get you to heaven, Okay. So Baptist has to do with my theological alignment. It doesn't have to do with my status before God. But I didn't grow up Baptist. So some people say, well, you believe in eternal security because you're a Baptist. No, I believe it because Jesus said it. Look what he says here. You believe, you hear my word, you believe on him that sent me. Okay, who sent Jesus to earth? God the Father. You believe on him that sent me. You have everlasting life. Notice hath. Okay, that's the same as has. Oh, teens, you guys are smart. What tense is the verb has is that past present or future anybody tell me present okay he has everlasting life and then it's interesting it says this and he he is passed from death unto life now that's an interesting one that's called perfect tense perfect tense is a one-time occurrence that has ongoing ramifications okay I'm, I'm wearing a piece of jewelry here tells you something about me I am what married now May 22nd of 1993 Angela and I got married okay so we swore to each other to to be true till death do us part. You know what that means? That means I'll never have a romantic, intimate relationship with anybody ever but my wife till death do us part. That's what that means. That's really important. So that ring is just a symbol. It was a one-time action, but I will tell you it has ongoing ramifications. Like tonight, I will call my wife, just like I did last night, because right now I'm apart from her. I don't like being apart from her, but I'm apart from her. So I call her and I talk to her. Why? We're married. We got three children. That's part of a one-time action that led to ongoing ramifications. I love those girls. I love my wife. When you come to eternal life, he says, this person is passed from death to life. In other words, the moment you trusted Christ, 
you have passed from this life into eternal life at that moment. Let me ask you, if you had everlasting life, but you lost it, would it really be everlasting? Well, no, it wouldn't. That's why everlasting life has to be eternally secure. It had nothing to do with what you did to attain it. It had everything to do with what Jesus Christ gave you as a gift. Well, if I believe that, I'd go out and sin like the devil. Really? I knew my parents loved me unconditionally, but I'll tell you what, I didn't dare sin like the devil. There were consequences. And you know what God says? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourges, he disciplines. If earthly parents know how to discipline their kids, at least they should. A heavenly father sure does a good job at it. You can't sin and get away with it. Drop on down to verse 28, if you will. Verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Wait, what? People that are in the grave, well, what do we call people in the grave? Corpses, dead. (laughs) How can dead people hear his voice? Verse 29. And shall come forth they that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. The word damnation there is not a cuss word, but that is why we should not flippantly use the word D-A-M-N. I don't say that word indiscriminately. It is not a cuss word if I say that God, please understand context, damns a sinner to hell. That wouldn't be swearing. That's the con- Same with the word hell. When I use the word hell, I'm not cussing if I talk about heaven and hell. But if I said to somebody, why don't you go to, and then I said that, that'd be cussing because it's not, it's not used reverently or in the appropriate context. Notice there's a resurrection of life and a resurrection of damnation. That begs the question for every one of us, which one of those are you going to when you die? Resurrection of life or resurrection of damnation? Oh, I don't believe in that. Oh, that's nice and convenient, isn't it? Be like you saying, well, I don't believe our country really has as big a national debt as it has. Fine, but it does. And you can't escape it. Well, I don't really believe that walking out in busy traffic is going to end my life. Okay. See how that works out. No, it's not okay. No, no, don't do that. Folks, there's a resurrection of life. There's a resurrection of damnation. Let me just say to you, it is absurd for you to act as if God doesn't exist. I mentioned this the other night. It bears reiterating. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. It's absurdity for you to act as if God does not exist. He has given you ample evidence of himself if you'll have a heart to receive it. Even if you won't have a heart to receive it, it does not negate the reality of God. And one day you'll meet him. And I want to ask you this, where are you going to be forever? Do you realize I'm not saying this stuff to be hard-nosed? I'm not saying this to be unkind. You and I are fools to dismiss what God has told us. And if we do dismiss it, we do so at our own peril. God loves every person in this room, even those of you who say, I don't believe in God. That doesn't change his mind about you. In fact, he says this about you. He's drawing all men to himself. You may secretly be involved in the most distressful, disgusting sins in the world, and I want to tell you, God is working in your heart to draw you to himself. He doesn't love the sin, but he loves you. He wants to save you. Well, if there is a God, there's no way I could ever possibly be right with him. Well, not by your own doings. No, it's true. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. But Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, you can't save yourself, but he came to save you. That's the good news. 
So notice this, man was formed by God, man was given a job by God. Look at verse 8, we're back in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 8. We read here, and it's very clear from God, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed, drop down to verse 15, and the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. What's to dress it and to keep it mean? He had a job. Let me ask you, when does the fall of man occur? When does man plunge into sin? What chapter in Genesis? Chapter 3. What chapter are we in right now? 2. Has sin occurred within humanity yet? No. And God gave man a job before there was sin. Work is not the problem. God never said work was part of the curse. No, work was given by God before man was, was ever sinful. By the way, bearing children was not part of the curse. God said to the woman, because of sin, you, your, your pain in childbearing will be increased. And he also said to the woman, your desire will be to your husband. That's not like, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on him. <laughs> Men would be like, that's a curse. No. <laughs> what it means is she wants to be in charge. That's a problem. Well, you're a misogynist. Really? It's very interesting. In 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 3, the, the Bible says this. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of Christ, I'm sorry, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. God did not put man over woman to be oppressive or abuser. I like the way, I think it was Adrian Rogers said, when, when the Lord took um, Eve from Adam's side, it was significant, next to his heart alongside of him, not over his head to lord over him, not under his feet to be trampled by him, but next to his side, out of his side. I, I love my wife with everything in me, and I will tell you something, I am so grateful for her. If I, if I ask you, what, what, what's better, satin or canvas? You say, what? What's better, satin or canvas? Well, it depends if you're decorating for a wedding or taking a bunch of Marines out on a camp out, right? What's better, a hammer or a screwdriver? It depends if you're hanging a picture frame or screwing a screw. Well, who's better, man or woman? Not better, just different. God made us different. I mentioned to you the other day, you know, when God says for a wife to submit to her own husband, it's like being in the military, and I asked you, you know, how many of you had a military officer who was younger than you, and some of you didn't? How many had a military officer shorter than you, and a lot of you didn't? How many of you had a military officer who had a lower IQ of you and, than you, and all of you did? I mean, that's, that was the admission. <laughs> but you still submit, don't you? Because there's order, there's arrangement. It's interesting when the Bible says the head of every man is Christ, that's like in a military arrangement. And it, has, it says the head of Christ is God. Was Jesus Christ in any way inferior to the Father? He said, I and my Father are one. John 10.30. No, he was not in any way inferior to the Father. And yet he said the head of Christ is God. Isn't that interesting? That tells us something about headship. Headship is not lording it over somebody. No, headship is for structure and Society, isn't it incredible that in our society, when the family falls apart, society suffers? So God blessed them. God um, gave them a job. I, I like to, a lot of times today when I, I'll give out tracks to people, um, I'll put some money in a track. I did this at a McDonald's uh, two weeks ago at, in, in um, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, there was a crew of four, and they were working really hard, and they had good attitudes. So I put a few bucks in each of four tracks, and I gave them to the people, and they said, what's this? I said, I'm a preacher, so that's good news, but the money is just to say thanks. It's a tip, because I'm grateful for people working nowadays. Now, you don't normally tip McDonald's workers. Hey, I'm glad they're just showing up. Nowadays, the government's paying them to stay home. 
I, I wrote this down, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Y'all might remember this. God says, if any man would not work, neither should he eat. And then Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, he'll beg and harvest and have nothing. Too cold. Okay. When harvest comes around, what do you got? Nothing, because you didn't work. God bless man. God gave him a job. But also, man is restricted by God. Look at verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. From the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Why did he say that? Look, there was no evil in their world. They, they had not sinned. They don't need to know about evil. It, it's just like this whole idea, that this, that the transgenderism is going after our children. They're wanting to teach this stuff to kindergartners to third graders. Folks, they don't even understand sex, let alone those details. What are we thinking? God says, Adam and Eve, you don't need to know about good and evil. Just trust me. That's where Satan went after them. They had access to all the trees of the garden. It's interesting. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Remember this. Whenever God says, Thou shalt not, it's always for your good and for his glory. If God says no, it's for your good, for his glory. Satan comes along, hath God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Eve said, no, 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 we can eat of all the trees of the garden. Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said you should not eat of it. And she says, neither should you touch it. Adam probably told her that to keep her from touching it. Lest you die. And he said, oh, you'll not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Ooh. First time anybody suggested there were multiple gods. Yeah, who suggested that? Satan. And he was lying. He said, you'll not surely die. And we just read God said, you'll surely die. Somebody's not telling the truth. Want to take a guess who? May I repeat, for the umpteenth time, those who come out on the wrong side of truth come out on the wrong side of history. That's why he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Do not be swept along with cultural vogue if cultural vogue is defying the authority of God's word. It's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy you. Man was restricted by God, but then I want you to see man was educated by God. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good. I'm sorry, not educated. Was evaluated by God. Sorry, 18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a help, meet for him. This is the first time you find the, the um, expression not good in the Bible. And sin hasn't occurred yet. So what was not good? Man to be a bachelor. And all the single girls in here are going, amen, tell them, preacher. Okay. <laughs> now, let, let me just say this. Um, and any of you have ever been to the home of a bachelor, all you got is look around and say, it is not good that a man should be alone. There, it is a general principle. Are there exceptions? Yes, there are. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7 says, every man hath his proper gift of God. But the, the norm was for people to be married. That was the norm, okay? It's not good that a man should be alone. Then man was tasked with naming the creatures. Look at verse 19. He was given a task. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Interesting. Don't have the idea that Adam was some kind of a caveman. Mm, dog. Mm, cat. <laughs> Can you imagine naming every genre of species? I had enough time in you know, biology and zoology trying to learn Latin names for all the... Let's just memorize them. Uh, Adam was taught directly by God. What a mind. 
And then finally, this man was given a wife by God. Look at verse 20 to 25. God gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. Now, we often merge help meet, but the word help is the noun. The word meet is the adjective. Okay, help, one who helps, one who assists, one who gives comfort and aid to. Meet means suitable, appropriate, fitted for. She was a help meet for him. Verse 20. Uh, one, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Meaning, she's not like these dogs and cats and elephants. and she, She's human. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. They shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so let me just speak frankly. God ordained marriage. God created the uh, sanctity of sexuality. And this is why when God says there'll be one flesh, marital math is this. One plus one equals one. What? One plus one equals two. Well, in marriage, it's one plus one equals one. And let me tell you, kids, this is why Satan will do everything in his power to try to get you to experiment around with sexuality. You know, like, hey, don't, don't let anybody hold pleasure back from you. No good thing will God withhold. Why did he intend that relationship to be unique to marriage? Well, here's the deal. When you marry a person in the honorable state of marriage, it ought to be when you go on a honeymoon, you are both experiencing a relationship you've never had with anybody else ever. And it's intended for the two of you. And I will tell you this, it's incredible when you honor God in that. And let me be also transparent that some of you may be thinking right now, well, I'm beyond that, I already blew it. Thank God there's mercy with God. Thank God there's forgiveness with God. And if, if you've already violated, and this is not just for the kids, this is for everybody here. If you've already violated some principle of God, thank God he can even cleanse your conscience as well as your record before him. You know, if you got drunk and lost your hand in a car accident, you wouldn't just say, well, I can get forgiven by God, but I'll never get my hand back. I guess I'll just keep drinking. And then what, lose your foot or your eye in another accident? No, no, no. Get cleansing and then go forward. But I will say this to you married people too. Before you're married, Satan will do everything he get, can to get you in bed with each other. And after you're married, he'll do everything he can to keep you out of bed with each other. That, that oneness of marriage was created by God as a unique glue that nobody else has but the two of you. Let me finish by reading this, and I will tell you, um, this came out of that book I was mentioning by Erwin Lutzer called We Will Not Be Silenced. It was a Father's Day message given in a Chicago church in 2008. The speaker said this, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that what too many fathers are is missing. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. They've abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true this is in the African-American community. And by the way, the one speaking is a black man to a black congregation, okay? So please don't think this is the white guy being condescending. Um, he says, we know that more than half of all African-American children live in single-parent households. By the way, that number is across all races now. It is unbelievable the number of kids growing up with just a single parent. Um, African-American children live in single-parent households, that, a number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. 
We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father, listen, this is not based on race. Children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crimes, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, 20 times. Kids who grow up without a father. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundation of our community are weaker, foundations are weaker because of it. But we also need, have, we have need of families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize their responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, it's the courage to raise one. Barack Obama, 2008. You won't hear that said today. Because that doesn't fit wokeism. But let me tell you something. We need to wake up from wokeism. If it's culture against God, you better side with God. Not to do so is at your own peril. God loves all men. God loves all races. God loves all people. He did not come to affirm us in our sin. He came to save us from our sin. You're a special creation of God. And he wants to make something of your life. Know your role, believe the truth, do your job. I'd like to ask you to stand with me with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I, I have to admit that if I, if I had preached this years ago, it would have seemed so basic, so, even to me it seems basic. I've heard this my, most of my life, but I know in our society this seems radical. Well, no wonder. You said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Help us to side with your truth against our, our feelings, our favorite causes, our pet ideologies. I pray we'd be changed by your word. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.